Thank you so much for having joined us. And we're just going to jump right into the word of God tonight. It's just a, a real blessing, a blessing to be with you and to share what the Lord has placed on our hearts. And so I want to also say, uh, before I get into the message, some, it's not a preface of the message, but it's just a comment. I want to just say that we, the people of God, are excited to do the work of God, whatever we are. And uh, I think that this COVID-19 situation that's happening all over the world, this pandemic, has given us a time for a reset. That is, the Lord is giving us some time, I think, to do some things better than we've done them before. I would like for us to love each other more than we've ever loved before. I would like for us to be there for each other more than we've been there for each other. And that we would keep Jesus Christ as our center. And we want to make sure that we do that. I would say as, uh, that there are many around the world uh, in, in, in our own nation here who have uh, maybe been distracted and have looked to other things more than they have to the gospel. And I would like to tonight to continue my sharing on the church because I would like for us to turn again to Jesus Christ and, and see him as our Lord, our Savior, not in word only, but in our lifestyle. We want to give everything to the Lord. Uh, he is worthy to be praised. He's worthy to be worshiped. He's worthy to be adored. And he is worthy of our lives. Lives, our very lives, because he has given us life. I've been sharing on the church and the glory of God in the church. I would like to continue that tonight. There will be some things that we, we are saying that will be similar to what we have said, and uh, there will be new things that we are saying tonight. I want you to really pay attention. If you are there in your homes or in your vehicles, wherever you are, I would like for you to stop doing whatever you're doing and concentrate on the Word of God. The Word of God is, is sometimes nuanced, and th that means there are some things that God wants to give you that are not so much spoken as they are transferred to you by the Holy Spirit. And you are not going to receive them while you are distracted. So please uh, just rebuke distraction, okay? Um, the title of my message tonight in this series is With Unveiled Face. With Unveiled Face. That means I have no covering on my face. I have uh, no uh, facade or nothing between God and myself. And so we'll explain that as we go forward. Uh, the theme that is running through to, uh, tonight's message and also all of the messages is Paul's writings from uh, Ephesians chapter 3 verse 21 when he says to him or to God be glory in the church in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. So what Paul is saying is that God the Father gets glory in the church, not only through the church and by the church, but in the church. That is, the church is uh, a treasure chest of glory uh, for the Father because God has done something for us that actually had no solution in the world absolutely no solution. It was impossible for us to be born again and now have access to God. It was impossible, but God has made that possible for us. And he says glory is also expressed in Christ Jesus. And that's why we, the people of God, the church of Jesus Christ, must 
Keep Christ as the center of everything, not just in words, but in deed, in lifestyle, because God gets glory in Jesus and through Jesus and by Jesus. He says uh, it to all generations, that means every generation will have witness of God in the earth, every generation, and then forever and ever uh, this is going to happen. Uh, I want to give you an introductory sentence uh, or scripture, an introductory scripture, and it says, but we all with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror, the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory. And the, the, that is the New King James Version. It says, but we all, all believers, all people who are part of the church of Jesus Christ, uh, with unveiled face, there's no covering, and we'll get into that. This has to do with Moses, who covered his face when he went to, uh, up to the mountain to talk with, uh, rather came down from the mountain after talking with God. Uh, he covered his face because of the glory that was there on his face. But you and I have unveiled face. We behold, as in a mirror, the glory of the Lord. So we are staring at the glory of God, even when we come to church, even tonight, when you are sitting there in your homes and we are preaching to you, you are now in the realm of the Spirit, staring into the glory of God. With every word that is presented, every nuance of the Holy Spirit, you are staring into the glory of God and you are being transformed into that same image. Jesus Christ is, uh, was, and is, and will always be the image of God. He is the likeness of God, the exact uh, representation of God. And the Bible says here that you and I are also being transformed, being metamorphosed into that same image. That is a mind-blowing statement for everybody who is a believer today, that you and I, though we stumble, we make mistakes, uh, sometimes we, our error is just so much too much to bear, almost too much to bear, but God is saying, no, I am doing something for you and with you, I am transforming you. I am giving you another form, another reality, and it's there for all of us, but some of us are just slow to believe. Unbelievers don't believe it, therefore they're not gonna receive it, but there are many believers who are slow to mature, slow to mature because you have other interests. But So Paul tells us that we are, we are being transformed to the same image with ever-increasing glory, the, the New International Version says. And then the English Standard Version says, from one degree of glory to another. So that means that we are becoming more like Jesus every day we believe. Now, I would like to take you back to Exodus chapter 19, because this is your inheritance. These things are your inheritance. In Exodus 19, this is where Paul um, gets his understanding, is from the, what we would call the Old Testament. In chapter 19, beginning in verse 1, he said, the writer reads, writes, in the third month after the children of Israel had gone out of the land of Egypt on the same day, they came to the wilderness of Sinai. So the Bible is showing you how meticulous, how careful God is to detail. So he, re he freed his people from bondage or slavery in Egypt. He took them out with a great and powerful hand. So God too has saved us by a great and powerful hand, by the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. One man dying is so powerful he died for the sin of all humanity 
past, present, and future. For billions and billions, one man's blood is so effective, so efficacious that his death freed us all, all of us who are willing to accept it. That's huge of God. Now, he had freed Israel from Egyptian bondage. They left Egypt, and he says on the third month, they came to Sinai on the same day. For they had departed from Rephidim, had come to the wilderness of Sinai and camped in the wilderness. So Israel camped there before the mountain, before Mount Sinai, and Moses went up to God. This is such a huge statement. And Moses went up to God. A man went up to, to the mountain and met with God. And Moses went up to God, and the Lord called to him from the mountain, saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Israel and tell the children of Israel, you have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. This is huge. So when God saves a person, he doesn't save them so that they will become religious entities, but he saves them so that they will come to him, to him save himself. Moses went up to the mountain, uh, went up to God for a face-to-face -face encounter. So the church Many of us have lived beneath our privilege of being born ones of God. John chapter 1 tells us we are born ones of God. So that means we're not just saved by an act of God and we're still the same as we were, but, but we are born ones. We have been literally born again in our heart. We are totally new there in our heart. So God said, you saw what I did for you. You saw how I dealt with the Egyptians and you saw how I I bore you as it were on eagle's wings and brought you to myself. I want to say to everyone in this audience today, this is what the Lord wants you to understand, is that he, he brought you out of darkness to bring you into his marvelous light. He did not bring you out of the total darkness. The, in Spanish, we would call that las tinieblas. Las tinieblas. It means many darknesses. Darkness says. So it wasn't just one layer of darkness, but multi-layered darkness darkness. He brought you out of that and into his marvelous light. He doesn't want you to live in the shadows, sometimes for God and sometimes for yourself and sometimes for the world. He doesn't want that. Now, the scripture goes on to say in verse 5, Exodus 19, 5, now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, keep my covenant with you, then you shall be a special treasure to me above all peoples. For all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. This is what God said to Israel, and this is what God says to us, the church, that you and I are now a kingdom of priests, a kingdom of priests, people who do the Lord's service, who do the Lord's work. You know, prayer and intercession are part of it, kind deeds of goodness to others, even the undeserving. We do those things because we are now a kingdom of priests. We belong to the kingdom of God, and that means that we are an, an unshakable kingdom, and we are God's holy 
nation, a nation that is set apart. Doesn't matter where you're from. Now, I would like to say just quickly that, that many sort of think that their nation is God's called out nation. No, God had Israel in the world. They were his only covenant people in the whole earth. But now God has a people in the earth and it's the church. It is the church of Jesus Christ. We are the people of God and we have been brought to God for a purpose that is of displaying his amazing, his abundant glory. So we are to ex express the glory of God, the joy of the Lord, the peace of God, the kindness of Jesus Christ, his goodness, his holiness. We are to display that, be a display of that. We are to be unlike all the peoples of the earth we are there is no one like the church and so I ask you today and I say to you let us stop being mere men let's stop acting like mere men just people like everybody else no because we now have the spirit of the living God therefore we exude we emanate we radiate the glory of God because when people see us being godly not being loud and boisterous and demanding like so many are but to be godly then that is the glory of God that is the glory of God we'll tell you more about that in a moment Paul contrasts um, the the old covenant with the new covenant as we said to you the last time we spoke he, he characterizes the old covenant as a ministry of death and he says to us that that ministry of death had glory so it was a ministry of death it was always uh, death and dying innocent animals being slaughtered to as it were uh, cover the sins of um, of the people for a period of time, a year, and the high priest would go into the holiest of all and sprinkle blood on the mercy seat so that their sins were just pushed aside. Their sins could never be removed because it was not possible that the blood of bulls and goats could cover that. So it was always death uh, in the Old Testament. The soul that sinned died. Uh, I remember uh, there's a story of of Joshua going into uh, the, the promised land and over at Jericho, God told him that Jericho and everything in it was dedicated to him and they were to take nothing but destroy everything and except Rahab and her family. She was a prostitute, but she had found favor in God's eyes. It doesn't matter what you have been. Uh, when God cleanses you, nobody's to call you common or unclean because when God is cleansed, he has cleansed. And so that woman was the one that was saved in her family. Everybody else was uh, perished. And so what he did was um, Achan, one of the uh, uh, one of the Israelites, took some of the Babylonian garments and, and some of the, the, the precious metals and he hid them in his tent. Uh, what he did was, when he did was a death penalty. And so he died and his whole family died for their transgression. So because God was not tolerant of sin. And, and this is what you see. But the ministry of the New Testament, the new covenant that we have is called the ministry of the spirit, which means that you and I now are indwelt by the Holy Spirit that is the Spirit of God we are indwelt by the Spirit of God when we come to Jesus Christ we come to God through Jesus Christ and ask for forgiveness God gives us forgiveness and he will not turn us away Jesus told the disciples when Paul uh, Peter said uh, Lord how often shall I forgive uh, my brother when he sins against me uh, seven times he says I say it to you seven times seventy 
70 times, seven times, you are to forgive your brother. Whoa, that's huge. Now, if, if Jesus says that we are to forgive each other as many times as our brother or sister comes and say, uh, I need forgiveness, we are to forgive them. Now, if God requires that of man, how much more will God forgive you? Maybe you have, you have sinned against God over and over and over, and you feel like, I'm not going to go anymore because I've sinned too much. God can't forgive me. God has the capacity to forgive you. And we, the people of God, the church of Jesus Christ, we have the capacity to forgive every sin and transgression. Amen. And so that this ministry of the Spirit is a, an enabling ministry. Now that the Holy Spirit is in us, Jesus lives in us. And the scripture says that the, the greater one lives in us. Greater is he who is within you than he who is within the world. So the scripture is so powerful. Uh, so we now live in the ministry of the Spirit or the economy of the Spirit of God. So that means the Holy Spirit is in us, the church, and he is he permeates all of us. He's all around you, and he is in you. He also contrasts the, the ministry of condemnation uh, with the ministry of righteousness. That's why in Romans chapter 8, verse 1, Paul says, There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Why? Because we don't live in an economy of condemnation, where you're always judged and 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 prosecuted for your, your transgressions. No, we live in the economy of righteousness because Jesus Christ, the one who knew no sin, had, was not acquainted with sin, had never done anything wrong. Jesus Christ, who knew no sin, became sin for us, what God the Father did on the cross. He took uh, uh, all of our sins and put it on Jesus. And he says, he who knew no sin became sin for us, that you and I might become, might become the righteousness of God in him. So God is taking the church, each one of us, to a place where we will sin no more. He's taken to a, us to a place where we are being transformed even presently into the very image of the one that we see, the one that we see through the word of God, the one that we see through prayer. We are becoming his very image. That's so mind blowing. We, that is so amazing. Let me go uh, uh, to 2 Corinthians chapter 3. So Paul tells us that uh, that this ministry of death, this ministry of condemnation, uh, is opposed to, or rather, the spirit. The, the, it is opposed to the ministry of the spirit and the ministry of righteousness. But the ministry of the spirit and the ministry of righteousness are both so far beyond condemnation and death that there is no comparison. There is no worthy comparison. Even if I if I give you again the the um, example I gave a, a few a weeks ago on the sun shining in its brilliance is like the, the ministry of the spirit and the ministry of righteousness and somebody has a little flashlight and that's how the other the, the other ministry the Old Testament ministry was and so what God we want you to know and what God wants you to know is that what he has given to you you must examine you must explore it you must find out more and more who and what you are what God has made you and so Paul says, uh, therefore, since we have such hope, we use great boldness of speech. So what Paul says, since God has done for us uh, something that's so infinitely great, we use great boldness of speech. Now notice what he says. Moses is, is arguably the greatest uh, person in the Old Testament personage. And he says, unlike Moses, we use great boldness of speech, unlike Moses. So those of you who are enamored with the Old Covenant, you know, 
enjoy it, but you go, if you had many, much darkness, you would want a flashlight when you could have the sun. A flashlight will shine just only so far, but the sun can cover uh, the whole earth, as it were. And so you want something greater, and God has given you something greater. He says, we have great boldness, use great boldness of speech, unlike Moses, who put a veil over his face, so that the children of Israel could not look steadily at the end of what was passing away. So they could not look at that glory, but it was passing glory, and they couldn't stand it. You and I look at the face of Jesus Christ, and it is, it is ever-increasing glory. So that means, and we'll get into what it means more fully in a moment. So the children of Israel could not look steadily at the end of what was passing away. Now, Paul tells us, but their minds were blinded. So when Moses put that veil over his face uh, because they were afraid of, of, of what he looked like after having been in the presence of God, and he was just reflecting God's glory. You and I emanate God's glory. And so they couldn't look at it, so he put a veil over his face, and what it did was it shielded them from seeing the glory. But Paul says it also was a sort of a prophetic statement. Their minds were blinded, so they could not see glory. So all that they were going through, all of the rituals, they really couldn't see the glory. But you and I can see the glory in the face of Jesus Christ. So he says, for until this day, the same veil remains unlifted in the reading of the Old Testament. Because the veil is taken away, the covering is taken away in Christ, is done away with, it is removed. But even to this day, when Moses is read, a veil lies on their heart. So that means that, that, that Israel as a nation has never ever come to God. They have not come to God. Now, now when, when Jesus came, when Jesus came, uh, they rejected their Savior, their Messiah, and as a nation, they rejected him. And still today, as a nation, they do not know Jesus. Individuals, yes. There are many Jewish people who are believers in Jesus Christ, Yeshua. They uh, are uh, believers in him because when they turn to the Lord, God, the Holy Spirit, removed the veil. Wow, he removed their blindness like he removed our blindness. This is the glory of the church. When Moses went into God, he removed his veil. But when you and I come to God through Jesus, the Holy Spirit removes our veil. Isn't that amazing? And so this is what we want you to understand in the church. Stop getting involved in all these these controversies around the world and in our nation. Stop being as you are, as so many of you are. You know, go preach the gospel and don't worry about these trivial matters that are passing away. They are passing away. So verse 16 says, nevertheless, when one turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away, it's removed. And then he says, now the Lord is that spirit and where the spirit of the Lord is, there's liberty or there's freedom where the spirit of the Lord is. Now, verse 18 tells us, my, my introductory verse says, But we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, with ever-increasing glory. We are being changed into the very image of Jesus Christ. What is so amazing about that is, is that as Jesus uh, is the image of God, we are becoming the image 
of Christ. That is so amazing. So we are, when he comes, uh, we, are, we will be totally free from all that is here. Now, when we talk about with unveiled face, my subject with unveiled face, we're saying that we go to God without any covering. We go bare and, and, uh, and we are being changed as we go to him. Let's look at Exodus chapter 26, uh, verses 20, 33 through 35. And we'll have a little bit more understanding on the veil. The veil or the covering shall be a divider for you between the holy place and the most holy. And so he says it shall be a divider. So what we are finding here is that the veil divides. So then, then if we are covered when we go to God, and we'll talk about what those coverings are for us, we are divided. And so, so when God instructed Moses, when he went up to have a face-to-face -face meeting with God, God showed him how to build this tabernacle. And later on, the temple, uh, David got instructions of how to build the temple. In verse 34, he says, you shall put the mercy seat, that is the place for our uh, it was for our redemption. It was the mercy seat was a place for forgiveness, and uh, and the blood was was sprinkled there. Jesus's blood is as it were was sprinkled on the mercy seat, and uh, we find a forgiveness of sins through Christ. He says, "You shall put the mercy seat upon the." Uh, Upon the ark of the testimony in the most holy, you shall set the tables outside uh, the veil and the lampstand, the cross and the table on the side of the tabernacle. These are furnishings. They had a, a, a and I'll just tell you about it in Exodus 30. They had an altar of incense where prayer, incense was offered, which meant there was the prayers. It was outside the veil. It was offered up. The priests were doing work there. But on the other side of the veil where the ark of the uh, covenant was or the ark of the presence of God was there, there was no work done. No human work was done there. No human work was done there. When the high priest went in once a year to sprinkle blood, uh, that was a prefiguring of Jesus Christ coming in with his own blood into the holy of holies in heaven and uh, purchasing our redemption. So the church must be laid bare. That's what all these things are saying. I know they may be a little intricate. If you've never read them, you, you go back and read them, you'll become more familiar with them. But the Israel had these as functions in their worship services. They had th these particular functions. There was an altar of incense, as I said, which represented the prayers where incense was burned continually. There was um, uh, a table with a call of showbread, 12 loaves there, which represented the, the 12 tribes of Israel there before God. But none of that was behind the curtain. You see, that's why it is so important that we go to God, uh, as it were, with unveiled face. The veil, according to Exodus chapter 40, verse 21, is called the veil of the covering and partition. So that a veil represents whatever cuts you off from God. So the church should have nothing uh, between us and our Savior. Now, when we say uh, with unveiled face, we all with unveiled face, what does that mean? It means that we are not going before God, concealing things, hiding things, or uh, obscuring things, uh, but we must go to God uh, differently than that. When we say it's veiled, it means that we cannot uh, see through the veil of a natural man. So as, a, as we are natural people and we are unconverted, we can't know God. We can't see God. We cannot bear God's presence. So a natural person, an unsaved person may say to you, I don't know what you're talking about. Oh, that's foolish because they are veiled with flesh. That is with carnality, with human thinking and not the thinking of God.
or they are veiled with unbelief. They are veiled with doubt. With doubt, you cannot see God. With fear, you cannot see God. These things prevent us from seeing the Lord. But the church is an unveiled body, an unveiled body, because all of us are being transformed. So, and also having a veil over one's face means that there is a division. A veil always brings a division uh, uh, between the one wearing it and the one before whom we stand, which is God. Now Moses is a picture of mankind sitting before God. And this is what we want you to know as the church. You have this amazing opportunity to go before God with an unveiled face, which means you are always laid bare before God. You have an unobstructed view to God. Whenever you sin, you do something wrong, you go to God and say, God, Father, I'm sorry. And that's an unveiled face. You are transparent with God. You can't, you have, you have trust in God. You have intimacy with God. That's what an unveiled face is. You um, are exposed to God. You are uncovered uh, uh, to God. So it means that you have nothing to hide from God. Whatever you do, you've done it. You take it before God. Nothing to hide. So when we are face to face with God, you have nothing to hide but everything to gain. And that's what this scripture is about. God is not becoming like us, but we are becoming like him. He became a man that we might become like him. And he has redeemed us to himself. So unveil also means fullness of glory, fullness of glory, revelation, understanding, wisdom, knowledge, and all of, all of these things, that's what it means to be unveiled, unveiled before God. Now let me bring this, this sort of home to us. In Matthew chapter 27, uh, verses 20, uh, 50 through 54, Matthew 27, verses 50 through 54, it talks about Jesus' crucifixion. And so we get a great understanding of veil. When we say unveiled face, nothing to hide, uh, no secrets with God, total transparency with God. God, I did that and I'm sorry. Father, forgive me for my temperament. Forgive me for being troubled. Uh, forgive me for causing my brothers to stumble, whatever that is. But let's read this, uh, starting in verse 50. And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. And there were some signs that were accompanying that. It says, then behold, the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And the earth quaked and the rocks were split. So what happened at Jesus' crucifixion? Uh, there was uh, the, a, a huge curtain was torn from the very top to the bottom. That is the veil, the, that veil that was in the temple that separated uh, where the priests were, uh, were offering, ministering and the presence of God. So that meant that from that point, men did not have a separation because of the death of Jesus. They could go right into the very presence of God. The earthquake, there was a great earthquake. Rocks were split open and the graves were opened and many bodies of the saints who had fallen sleep were raised and coming out of their graves after his resurrection they went into the holy city and appeared to many so when the centurion who was in charge or thought he was in charge of christ's execution he said when he saw the earthquake and all those things that happened uh, he and his company his soldiers feared greatly the bible says and he says truly this was the son of god this was the son of god this was the son of god I'm going to read a few more scriptures and, uh, before I close with the message tonight. 
but in Hebrews chapter 10, uh, verse 19, he says, Therefore, brethren, so he's talking about the resurrection of Jesus, the cross. He says, therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus, having boldness. So that means you can't stand before God in yourself. You go before God, you've got to have something of God to, to stand there. And so he says, we have boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus Christ. So when you stand before God, when he comes in the last day, when Christ comes and you stand before God, I'm speaking to the church, you have to have him in you to stand before our holy and awesome God. He says, we have boldness to enter the holiest because you can't enter without invitation. You can't come to God on your own. I'm gonna go talk to God. No, but we have boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus. Now listen, by a new and living way which he consecrated for us through the veil through the veil that is his flesh. So Jesus, when that Roman soldier pierced his side and he split it open out of that side came blood and water he says we we enter through those vicious acts we enter god and we are now born ones of god we are people of god let me just uh close it today let me just close this today paul tells us in second corinthians 4 16 we do not we don't lose heart even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. So, so no matter what you're going through, you're being renewed day by day. For our light affliction, whatever you're going through, Paul says it's a light affliction. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we do not look at the things which are seen, don't look at your circumstances and situations. Don't look at how bad things are. Stop feeling sorry for yourself. You are the church. You have a word from God that nothing can stand against you. He says, don't look at those things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. We, the people of God, are able to look beyond the natural and see things unseen. The Holy Spirit speaking to Paul and speaking through Paul is telling us, he's showing us how to live in the spirit economy. He says, don't look at the things which are seen, but look at the things which human eye cannot see. You can see what human eyes cannot see. For the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. They are eternal. They are eternal. So today, I want to thank you for your time. And if anybody's in this audience today, and you don't know Jesus Christ, you can know Jesus Christ today. And I want you to stop where you are if you don't know Jesus. And even if you feel like you want to ask him into your heart all, all over again, you've not sinned if you should do it. The scripture says that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And so today, ask Jesus to come into your heart as your life, and you will be saved. You will be saved. You will be saved. Now, Father, I bless that one who asked Jesus into their heart today, and they are saved today through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.